Hi, Rebecca. Wo wohnst du? Ich wohne in Melbourne, in Australien. Wow, in Australien. Und welche Sprachen sprichst du? Ich spreche Englisch, äh, Deutsch, ein bisschen Deutsch, äh, ein bisschen Italienisch und ich lerne im Moment Dänisch. Boah, cool. Und was hörst du? The Fluent Show. Yay! Ist das gut? Okay, we're yeah. playing a mental intro. Welcome to The Fluent Show, a podcast about learning languages and reaching your potential. Hello, hello. My name is Kirsten Cable from fluentlanguage.co.uk and here with my wonderful guests on the show, we talk about languages, communication, curiosity and enriching our lives through the challenge of learning something new and also about Eurovision. My guest today is Beck, Rebecca from Australia. Hi, Beck. Hello, I'm so happy to be on the Fluent Show. How exciting. I, I'm just delighted to have you. I can't believe it took this long. Long time listener, first time guest. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Although I have got an audio recording from you in one of the Women in Language episodes. Ah, uh, yes, that is true. Mm. Yes, mental archive is accurate. Oh, Beck, how come you are a long time listener of the Fluent Show? Actually, that's a great question. I, I don't know. I've just been listening to it for so long now. And I think as somebody who is interested in languages and learning languages and listening to other people talk about them, The Fluent Show for such a long time has been my one of my go-to podcasts about languages. Oh, and in all the time I've known you, you have always been such a language enthusiast and you're also a podcast host yourself. So mm -hmm. listeners, if you've never heard about Beck before, Beck is, you have actually heard Beck's podcast mate Penny on the podcast. Beck and Penny both live in Australia. You both live in Melbourne, right? I live in Melbourne and Penny lives just outside of Melbourne um, in another city called Geelong. Is it the kind of just outside like they have in the USA where it's actually 50 miles or is it just outside like in the UK where you could walk? <laughs> it's it's just outside like it's about an hour and a half drive from my place. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> just outside. Okay. Actually, probably not quite, like maybe like an hour and 15 minutes. So pretty yeah. close. <laughs> <laughs> and Beck is, like I said, a podcast host herself, hosts the podcast Language Chats AU, which you will find in the show notes. Show notes for this episode are going to be at fluent.show slash 239. And all the time I've known you, you have been super excited and you've been just really into languages. You totally fly the flag for languages. You also have got a little event sideline. And for a long time, Maybe still, you have been designing language-obsessed stationery. So I guess we need a very short history of Beck. When did you start doing what in Ooh, all the um, language things? So as in learning languages or doing the other stuff? <laughs> Everything together. It's really Everything great. together. Okay, in, I'll, try to keep it, I'll try to keep it brief. So yes, I grew up in, in Australia. I've been here basically my whole life. My first experience with learning languages was learning French at school. And I think that's kind of, that was sort of my, my gateway into the language learning world. Although I didn't realize it at the time, like I had to learn French right through my entire schooling and I didn't really enjoy it very much until I was kind of a teenager and really it kind of went on from 
there, but with a little bit of a hiatus, I was sort of studying and I started working and I actually kind of let the language enjoyment side of my life go for a little while and I realized how much I missed it. And that was when I decided to start learning some. And after I started learning some German, I thought, wow, I've really missed learning something new like this. But in particular, I, God, languages just really get me excited. I'm really interested in this. And then I started making some little paper-based things that I mainly wanted to use myself to begin with, some just like flashcards and greeting cards and things like that. And then Irregular Endings happened. And that was initially just a bit of a passion project to channel my love of languages and, you know, love of creative things into something else. And then I met Penny and we became really good friends. And then we started Language Lovers AU and started the podcast, Language Chats. And, and yeah, we started running some events and doing some other things to kind of help some people who were like us and interested in languages in Australia get to know each other and sort of get in contact. And then, yeah, since then I yeah learnt some Italian as well. And then I thought, well, this is fun. Maybe I'll just keep going, learning a few other things. So more recently I started learning Danish and I guess that's the story in a nutshell. That was good. That was good and quick. <laughs> I know. Try to keep it short. <laughs> I remember when I first came across Irregular Endings, maybe just, I don't know, a Twitter follower, whatever it was. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, that is the best name for a language focused, you know, business that, ever, that I've ever seen. It was so good. I can't even take full credit for it because <laughs> it was actually my husband, Chris, who came up with the name. And initially I said to him, I wonder if it's a bit long. I was like, God, maybe it's a bit like, it's a bit wordy. And then it kind of grew on me a bit. And I was like, yeah, I was like, language learners will get it. Irregular endings, they'll get it. <laughs> and so we went with it. Irregular endings. <laughs> absolutely, yeah, no, absolutely. We do get it. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, it's true. You're talking to, gosh, I couldn't even, I couldn't even conceive of a world where you don't know what irregular endings are. <laughs> Although there would be lots of people out there who'd be like, regular endings, what? And like, yeah. Ah, clever. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and so at the moment, your kind of active languages, like maybe Italian, Danish, we just tried to reactivate your Deutsch in the, um, in the intro a little bit. Yes. That was fun. Yeah, yeah, I know. I think my Italian has just been kind of recently reignited because I realized I was losing it a bit. I had I hadn't focused on it for ages. Mm -hmm. And there were a couple of years ago I like was I started learning Italian and then I was like really intense with it for like about 18 months. And then I took a break from it kind of almost entirely because I wanted to give my German a bit more time to to get better again. And then I started learning Danish and then it just slipped away. And then just recently I was like, you know what? I think it might be time to bring some of the Italian back. So so that's on its way back into the fold. But yeah, I would say actively learning Danish, kind of maintaining German at the moment. And yeah, that's where it's at. Ah, so there we have it. Listeners, very quick introduction to, to <laughs> Kaui, sort of polyglot yourself, if we're going to use the P word. <laughs> You polyglot yourself and also just such an active member in the language learning community with such a focus on um, Australia and your sort of continent slash region that gets forgotten a little bit maybe on the mm. internet. And I, I love what you're doing and I'm just forever inspired. Okay, going to yeah, stop coming now. <laughs> Beck, you are, you are into language learning with the apps a little bit, right? Yeah, I sure yeah. am. 
Ah, this is my segue into our sponsor, Read, an announcement. And, but before that, I wanted to ask you, what kind of language learning apps do you use on the regular? I would say the language learning apps I probably use the most regularly. I use Duolingo quite a lot probably like many people out there. I use Memrise a lot. I like that too. More on the like like dictionary side of things. Would you include all of that as well? Sure, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I use the Leo app a lot for oh my gosh. German. Yes. And I mean, you know, I think Google Translate has a place in this world. I still use it quite a bit in combination with other things and in combination with word reference. I like to refer to several different places when I need translations of things and dictionary assistance. Mm, nice one nice <laughs> this is this is interesting as well like I, I like asking people about their kind of app setup as well and like you I am such a like Leo hands down I mean I am a native German speaker so I've got a little mm. bit all the languages that Leo has in it have they're always work there was language pairs with German aren't they because it's yes. a German project but if you are a German speaker or you are a German le- learner, then I don't. I think if you haven't got Leo, you're so missing out. So get yourself Leo. My most recent lo- word looked up in Leo is uh, Trennkost. Ooh, <laughs> interesting. This is a sort of 90s diet trend, uh-huh. fat, fat diet trend, which translates to food combining. Never heard about that in my 20-something years in the UK. I've never heard about food combining. But Trendkost was a big deal. So there are still words that even living here and living fairly monolingually in my second language, there are still words that sometimes I just miss out. And it's I, I always look them up in Leo. Now, mm-hmm. have you... Okay, first of all, I think I'll introduce you to, or maybe reintroduce you to Clothesmaster, if I may, because that's yes. actually, at the moment, you know how your phone... Un- undownloads apps to make space yes yes so my only app that hasn't been undownloaded with conf- confession apart from the dictionary so leo and the only app that is language learning is close master on my phone is the only one i actively use and just so happens to be the fluent show sponsor but i do enjoy using it so if you haven't heard of close master listeners close master is an app it's a little bit different. We'll talk about it for a second. But what what they want you to know and what I want to tell you is that it is free. It is fun. I think it's really fun once you get into it. You can work through your sentences quickly. And it's really fantastic for expanding your vocab. It's based on the close, C-L-O-Z-E, game, which is seeing a sentence with a blank in it and it's your job to fill in the blank and the blank is in your target language. And you can have it as a multiple choice option or you can type it in and then you get more points if you type in your answer. Now, Clausemaster will help you really rapidly expand your vocabulary because it's designed to practice rather than necessarily teach you new stuff. But you can also infer a lot from context. So I like using the multiple choice options. It uses frequency lists. And I've been using the Mandarin Chinese, which has got a HSK1 based list, HSK1 being the sort of baby level that I am at. And this is really good because the frequency list uh, determines which words go missing. So you haven't got a sentence where the word missing is like carburetor or something that nobody knows. It's always (laughs) words you're actually going to miss. And there is a a decent text-to-speech. It's a computer voice, but it's a decent text-to-speech. So if you can even do listening training, so it won't show you the sentence you listen and then you see the gap, the sentence with the gap, and then you can fill it in. So that is Clothesmaster. It is a free app that you can get on Android phones, on iPhones. You can use it in your browser. I think the browser version does a few things that I've not seen on the apps. So it's always worth checking out. And it's available in over 50 languages. So its range of languages compared to 
you know, the, the mainstreamers that um, Beck mentioned. If you're a minority language learner, if you're a rare language learner, that range of languages a close master has is something I've rarely seen elsewhere in an app that is that is this that, that does the its function so well. So it's really worth checking out. And they have a pro membership. So if you're already on there and you want to upgrade or you just want to support them and keep them going, then do consider a pro membership. And let me just give you the code. It is Fluent Show. Simple, uh, <laughs> very simple. You can get 10% off using the code Fluent Show. You can also get that in the show notes page. And it's Closemaster, C L O Z E M A S T E R dot com slash Fluent Show for more information and a little video. Now, Beck, you have tried Closemaster in the past. Did you enjoy it? Did you find it good as a learning experience? I did. Yeah. One thing that I one thing that I really liked about Closemaster was that I found that the range of vocabulary, like the the variety of vocabulary, was very good and nice and diverse. But I also really liked that the sentences seemed really real life to me, like things that I would actually use and. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm here somewhere. So yeah, that was probably the main thing that I really liked about Closemaster when I gave it a try. Yeah, realistic sentences. Mm. Not necessarily stuff you'd say, but just not so outlandish that you would notice them. I think Duolingo does a thing where they're deliberately outlandish. Yes, exactly. And I think there was like, for me, there was a real difference between the two, but I liked that. I liked Mm. it, you know, gotta have something different. Yeah. I like that it doesn't animate as much, right? So on Mm. Duolingo, there's a lot of like, it's cute, right? You get the little owl flying in, you get a little congratulations, there's the sort of goth girl, there's the, you know, the guy. There's a lot going on. But what it means is it slows you down as you're actually working through the exercises. Whereas mm, with this true. one, you can just go like, brush, brush. Um, <laughs> and for me, as a sort of take it or leave it app user, usually I, I really enjoy that because I think it's challenging enough that I can't just like switch off and go on autopilot, but it still is quick. It's like my quiz shows. Mm. I like my quiz shows to be banter-free. Yes, love it. Quick fire. In terms of the look, like you mentioned to me before the show, I think this is an interesting one because when people first come to Closemaster, it does have a specific look. I've always really enjoyed that, but you said you'd quite... What would you like to change about it? I think this is a personal preference, but I'm a bit of a sucker for a really nice, clean design. You like the goth girl? Um, not necessarily like I like the goth girl. I kind of like modern UX. Like when you see a nice looking, you know, website or app and you're like, oh, just like the design makes you want to use it because it feels, I don't know, like I, I, I just like that kind of look. And I think that like with Clothesmaster, I appreciated that the content was good. Once I started using it, I was like, oh. Yeah, actually, this is pretty good. This is very decent. But I'm the kind of person who gets put off by the design sometimes if I'm like, I just wish it looked a little slicker. Ah, it is <laughs> super functional. and um, Yeah, exactly. Super functional. Yes. Don't fire me, Closemaster, because we. You know, <laughs> I think that's fair enough. And I think it's good to, to mention as well and to say, because that's like a little hurdle, especially when you first come to it. Mm. When you get to using it, like I said, like I've often thought, oh, I wish I could just switch the colors just to jazz it up a little bit for myself. But I think that is in production. I haven't got a timeline or anything, but it is in production. It's something that the clothes master have also would like to work on. But I think it's I think it's an interesting point. So I wanted to mention it as well. So here we go. The full, the honest, the 360 review. Oh, I'm only ever honest with you, Kristen. Oh. <laughs> <Yay. laughs> 
So, listeners, if that made you curious and you want to see this interface and make your own opinion about it, let me just mention the link to you again. Do head over there, closemaster, C-L-O-Z-E-M-A-S-T-E-R.com slash Fluent Show. And I've even made a little demo video. And like I said, it's free to use, to try out. But if you have been a long-term user of Closemaster and you want to support them, give them some money, maybe. Uh, that would be great. And there's still a 10% discount that you can get using the code Fluent Show. We have now talked about this long enough. And let's get <laughs> to all the other things because I have just the biggest list of things I need to cover. Okay, I, I think we're going to have to get serious for a minute. And I'm going to have to okay. like read the script. Listeners, I have a big announcement. Beck, I have a big announcement. Big announcement. Beck has known this for five days. Listeners, as we are recording at the moment, this is currently, I'm recording episode 239 of The Fluent Show with Beck. I can't believe it took this long. Next episode is number 240, and that is pretty special. That is pretty special. It's Um, a lot of episodes, Kirsten. You know, it means that you could now listen to five episodes a month for four years, if my math is accurate. That is is accurate. A lot of episodes. Yeah, I've been making the show for nine years. It's mad. Yeah. Anyway, so next episode is special because I've decided it's going to be, it's time. Then it's the final episode of The Fluent Show. So this podcast that I have created and, and hosted for nine years, for all of you, it, it is coming to an end. Everybody's like, what? Why? Um, I can't tell you how difficult it's been to make the decision. It is really hard and it took me best part of a year and saying goodbye will be really full of emotion for me but I feel like sometimes you just have an instinct and I know the time is right it's really good to leave on a high there are so many shows out there that just kind of pod fade you know where the last episode is like suddenly it's five months ago and trust me I know how it happens because podcasting it's a lot of work and you really need to be there it's fulfilling and delightful but it doesn't just happen by itself like you know this as a fellow podcaster right I sure do. Yeah. I've grown a lot as a podcaster, as a person, as a language professional in the last nine years hosting the show. I've learned so much. I've had so many wonderful guests. It's such a treat. I think all this growth and stuff, it's time to like take that to the next level and take that to whatever is coming in the future. So this is the decision. And God, I feel I feel really weird right now. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you do. It is a big decision. And Kirsten, I'm not going to speak on behalf of all of the listeners. I can only speak on my own behalf. But I have to say, having been a long time Fluent Show listener, oh. I'm really like grateful for all of the work that you've done in creating your show because I think certainly for me, I feel like the Fluent Show has been a bit of a companion over the last many years for people like me who enjoy learning languages and needed to find a community out there, needed to realize that you weren't just the only person who thought that languages were interesting and the Fluent Show has always been there and you have always been there to show everybody that there were lots of other people who were interested in the same thing. So as well as just being like generally inspiring and encouraging and enthusiastic about all things language thank you for having created this thing that's really important to so many people oh yeah I'm gonna miss I'm gonna miss you all so much and the feedback you know everybody's voices like I love hearing people's voices when they send in intros and the questions and the long emails the short emails that you know people send to me I think we're in a very different sort of 
content landscape to where I started. I've recently like got some advice on what to do with my blog. And she said, you've got so many articles there that are blog articles, but they're not content because they were written before content was content. And I thought, yeah, that's such a good way of putting it. It's just like, there's been so much change. Everything's changed so much. I think it's, I just want to hit reset, you know? So while this will be the final Fluent Show episode, I'm not going to tell you it's forever. I really love podcasting. There's a good chance I'm going to come back with some special episodes every now and then. So do stay, please, 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 listeners, do say subscribe to the feed for now. There's not going to be new episodes every two weeks as you've been come to expect it. But I do want to tell you what's next when it comes next. And I do want to come back to podcasting. So that's just my first practical. Please stay subscribed if you are subscribed. Thank you so much if you are a subscriber. And yeah, with all that being said, episode 240 will come out on the 30th of May. That's halfway through the year. And it's going to be, it's going to be, oh my God, last episode. Now, look, we better go out, right? Like I said, I don't want to fade away. I, I want to finish in style. Beck, oh my God. Okay, so. You've done it. You've said it now. <laughs> yes, it's true. And Omni, thank you so much for saying such a nice thing in response. And oh, your, no. your reaction was, oh my God, that's exciting. Like, oh, shock, but also that's exciting. And I just, I'm just so grateful to you for having that reaction because you're right. It is, it's exciting. It's exciting. It is. It's, it's freeing it's... up a lot of space for my creativity and for what comes next. Absolutely. And I'm sure lots of your listeners will identify with this. Things have their time and the end of one thing, it's always going to be followed by opportunities for other things. So I think that's really exciting for you that after so many years of working on a podcast that is so you know, it's so valued in the language learning community. It must feel like a really fresh time where you can work on some different things. Yeah. And you know what? I feel like, I feel like it's a really good time as well, because there are other shows out there now that have started and that are exciting and that I can kind of signpost people to and that are bringing new voices. So I'm loving that. And I'm going to make a little playlist. So I've, there is actually already a playlist of podcasts for language lovers that I made on Podchaser. So I'm going to put that in the show notes. It's got Language Chats AU on it. It's got Speaking Tongues on it. It's got lots of other podcasts on. When I started this for years, I've said this before, I was like the only female podcaster not in, in on the world of podcasts, of course, but in this sort of language learning space. And that's just not the case anymore. It's a different world. And I'm just so excited about it. Okay. Now, chances are in the last episode, Lindsay and I have talked that there will be a quiz. If you want to send a question that you want Lindsay and me to to answer as a quiz we do want to hear it so that's the first thing for episode 240 i want as much listener participation as i can possibly get so if you're gonna send us a question for the quiz please do it by looking at my diary <laughs> please do it by the 23rd that is monday the 23rd of may send a question if you want to, and you can email it to me and then I'll ask it to Lindsay. You have to send me the answer, of course, as well. Or you can email it to Lindsay if you want Lindsay to ask me and then she won't tell me the answer until I have tried to answer it. Lindsay's email address is lindsay at lindsaydoeslanguages.com and mine is kirsten, K-E-R-S-T-I-N at fluentlanguage.co.uk if you want to be part of the Fluent Show quiz. Uh, if nobody sends questions in, don't worry, we're going to prepare some for each other as well. Now, I also want your voices. Beck has just 
you've gone first, you've gone ahead. <laughs> it's like you, you've, you know, you've shared what the show means to you, which is just, I hope it's more than just me getting complimented, but it's also a, a celebration of the Fluent show as something that is more than just me sitting in, in my spare room, which is nice. So I want your voices. I want your stories, listeners. If you're listening right now, I want your feedback on the last episode and I want to read it out or even better, hear you. You can send me absolutely anything, even your nudes. Look, I'm old enough. I can handle it. Uh, don't, <laughs> don't do that. Now it sounds like I want their nudes. Okay, right. It's just, it's just so not what I was expecting you to say. But <laughs> You surprised me again. I was like... <laughs> anything and then my head went even dick pics and I'm like look yeah well I can hit delete I don't actually want anybody's Jesus Christ okay hello editor <laughs> okay so I want your voices if you're listening to this right now I want your voice your story your feedback Becca's just gone first and shared a little bit of what the fluent show meant to her it's fair enough to take time and to just recognize if the fluent show has been helpful special meaningful to you in any kind of way or you just had a lot of fun with me and Lindsay and Beck and all the wonderful guests that we've had over the years then please send me either an email a note i'll give you all my social media you if you haven't found it yet just get in touch in some kind of way again do it by the 23rd please of may 2022 so i can read it out on the last episode and you can also send me an audio file or you can record yourself in a little video it's absolutely fine which episodes did you like? Which episodes stood out to you? Have you made any friends who are also listeners? How did you discover the show? What's the weirdest place you've ever listened? I, I just really want to know. Email me, ideally with audio. It, again, it is K-E-R-S-T-I-N at fluentlanguage.co.uk and I will be just so delighted to add your story to the last episode. Maybe you've met me. Maybe I've met you at some point. Just let me hear from you. That's really nice. <laughs> Beck, do you have a favorite episode out of 240? I actually, I have favorite episodes, mm. although I feel like they are part of a series, so maybe it's grouping them. Anyway, my favorite episodes of The Fluent Show have always been Word of the Year. Oh, our international Words of the Year. Yes. They always. are so much fun every, to Every year I have looked forward to listening to the Word of the Year episode. Oh, my God. Maybe we'll do a special at the end of the year. I don't know. <laughs> do you that know, would be great. <laughs> In Germany, I've just heard somebody mention their candidate for word of the year sort of a thing. Um, okay. Or like a word that's come through where they've said Zeitenwende. I can imagine that's going to come up as a word of the year or on the word of the year list. Do you know mm. Zeitenwende? Have you heard of this? No, I have not mm. heard of this. Wende is like a really important word for the Germans because Wende, we normally say die Wende, it, like, it means the change, like the, mm -hmm. the, the change periods like a period where something changed like venton is when you turn around and or like when you turn in your car venton is like if you turn around and you do a ue so you and in germany when we say die wende it usually refers to like the time when uh, germany got reunited in the 90s mm -hmm. 19, yeah i know the dates okay never mind and the zeitenwende it's the changing of times but like mm. with a word that actually sounds quite ominous and meaningful and all that stuff and it was in a speech that the chancellor made the man chancellor that we have now that was the chancellor made when the war broke out in ukraine aha uh -huh. interesting yeah. so it, it, it does, does kind really of have good... a bit of an ominous feel about it Zeitenwende. 
yeah it's got that word of the year vibe yeah. to it doesn't it like this is yeah. a clear it's a good word choice mm. a lot of people are like yeah you say that and then you're not sending weapons and blah, blah, blah. but i'm not going into mm. any of those things like every everything is controversial right now the world is controversial but certainly it's an interesting word and we'll watch out for that whether it is a fluent show or not at the end of the year to see if it makes it onto Germany's word of the year list. I love word mm. of the year as well. I know it's just so fun. Sometimes they are very different and then other times they can be, you know, there's a bit of, I don't know, synergy. Is that what the word that we use to describe this? Like across different countries and regions. I feel like last year it was all COVID related, but then facts, other facts, years facts, there's facts. been like random. Yeah. Stroll out. Milkshake, milkshake duck come on milkshake duck honestly milkshake duck was like my most hated word of the year <laughs> like i'm sorry macquarie dictionary or australian national dictionary center or whoever it was who came up with that one but come on milkshake duck still no one knows what that means <laughs> i've already forgotten as well <laughs> It was Dictionary Word of the Year. There's a, a British expression that I hear on the politics podcasts that is dead cat strategy. Dead cat strategy? Yeah. What does it, that mean? It's sort of, it's not like, I don't think there's a specific like time relation like it's not timely enough to make it for the word of the year mm. but it's a cool expression and it, it it's when i believe there's a scandal or something happening say maybe you've been having parties in lockdown i don't know and uh, everybody else is in lockdown and you're like they here going boozing with your mates and uh, you also happen to be the prime minister so the press comes and goes hey you're the prime minister didn't you make the rules and then you go yeah but look over there and you come up with something like, I don't know, maybe you, you leak something to the press about your, oh my God, this actually happened. Jeez. Like the, um, the opposition, <laughs> we have an opposition politician who's a woman and somebody briefed the press that she crosses and uncrosses her legs to distract the prime minister. So it's just like, like deflection. It's deflection, basically. <sighs> but deflection with like something really ludicrous as well. Yeah. Okay. It's like deflection that is kind of really whip up and yeah, it's mental, but it, hmm. it gets used here a lot. Dead cat strategy. Listeners, let me know if you knew about this one. Oh my God, maybe I'll just do words for year, the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. What a good choice. Now, because of this nine years of making the show, I have been, you know, reflecting on what podcasting, I did this last year too, reflecting all the ways that podcasting has changed my life and changed me as a language learner as well and changed me as a person. It's always fun to start something that you are really bad at, but where you can have a good go at it. And I feel like that's how I feel about most languages when I first start. But I've also been reflecting on how learning languages in the bigger picture has changed my life. I wondered what that had been like for you in terms of learning languages has such a big impact. If I hadn't been a language learner, I would have never been a language teacher, wouldn't have become passionate about whether it's easy or not and people talk themselves out of it, which is sort of something that really first got me going. And I don't think I would have ever started this show because I just wouldn't be, I would have that enthusiasm in me. It's changed a lot in terms of my career, of course. But what about you? What about not a person who is a full-time language obsessed person, but only part-time? <laughs> <laughs> well, I really identify with what you were saying just then because I absolutely feel that languages have changed my life too. 
both personally but also professionally like my interest in languages has completely changed my my career I feel like but in the first instance I was thinking about this the other day and even just at its most basic level learning languages really does open up your world like I think it really opens up your perspectives on things and maybe that's why often people associate language learning with travel. And I think that travel is also something that really opens up your world. But when you learn a language as well, (laughs) or even you learn a language and maybe there's an element of travel to it, but learning a language is like a levelling up, I feel like, of that open door. You haven't just opened the door, you can now also go up some stairs. And that's something that like now as an adult... I appreciate because I don't think that as a kid and when I was first learning another language at school or other languages, I mean, I started with French, but then my I was quite lucky at my school. We had two other languages offered to us at the time. So you could learn Indonesian if you wanted to and you could also learn Japanese. And I got to try Japanese too. And I don't think I appreciated at all at that stage of my life when I was still so young, just considering that other people can experience the world just like you do, but that they process that and communicate it using different words and sounds and structures. And for me, that realisation came later, but it was quite a like dumbfounding experience when I was like, whoa, like (laughs) there are things that I never would have been able to experience or to see or to understand if I didn't have the aspect of my life that is learning languages. And I don't know, I'm really grateful for that. You've said some really interesting stuff there. And I, first of all, what a choice of languages to, you know, to be offered in your school. That's a good, that's a good. (laughs) Well, I guess in in Australia, it's, it's a bit different. It's like they're more, and certainly, I mean, that was in like the early 2000s. It's changed a little bit now. I know for a fact that at the school that I went to now, they also offer Italian. And mm-hmm. they no longer offer Japanese and they've replaced that with Mandarin Chinese. So, like, you kind of see that there are changes. For us, it's regional often that is um, the, the key to, like, why Asian languages are offered in Australian schools. And that's pretty normal days. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, there are the more, like, traditionally studied languages, things like French and, and Italian in Australia. Yeah. Even to be offered, for it to be given a status where it's said, like, look, this is... It's not weird to do two at the same time. I think that sends a very important message that like here in the UK, it's you do you sort of do one, although now in the primary schools they have mm. they do bits and bobs more, but it still is very much like well, you do German or French. And if you're really, really into it, like to the point of you're a bit unusual, then maybe you'll do another one. Whereas for me, it was like you do English and you do another one. And then we'll see sort of a thing. But it was very normal. It was considered very normal. The the status of it was higher. I sort of wish it was more like that here, to be honest. Like, I mean, again, I say that I'm lucky that there were multiple languages at my school. Like Mm. now, I think that's more, like maybe that's more common now. But I don't think that, like, uh, without jumping on my soapbox completely about the status (laughs) of language learning in Australia. (laughs) There are other places where you can hear me talk about that. I would love if it were normal in Australia for people to be learning 
more than one language. I think even learning one at school is there would still be a lot of people who would not see the value of learning another language. I think that's something that we have to overcome. You mentioned the kind of this realization that other people they can live the same, but somehow it, it's diff- it's like in different code or less like a different yeah feel to it all because they speak a different language and I remembered when you said that I remembered being a kid and we would drive across the border I, I grew up in Luxembourg <laughs> petrol is cheaper in Luxembourg because the taxes are lower <laughs> it's so mundane but we used to drive up there and Luxembourg is closely associated with Belgium so I think they used to share a currency with Belgium lots of stuff is labeled in French German often Luxembourgish so even as a very small kid I kind of had this very limited experience of entering a world where suddenly everything around you is different because it's in a different language and it's like there might be the same items on the shelf but somehow everything is a little bit different when was that experience for you that you remember I didn't have that experience until much like relatively later so yeah like having grown up in Australia like it's until you get the opportunity to travel I think the first time I went overseas, I was maybe about five. I have an auntie who lives in the US. And so that was my first like big trip. And I remember being really excited for that trip as a kid. But then when I was a bit older, so I was probably about 14, and I went to France for the first time. And it was actually just for like kind of a weekend with my older sister, who was living in London at the time. And she took me over to Paris for a weekend. And it just like, I don't know, it was like something just ignited in me a little bit. I remember just really noticing that the environment felt different to me. When you do actually see somewhere with signs in another language, Mm -hmm. that was really my first experience of going somewhere where the signs were not in English and where everywhere you walked, people weren't just speaking in English. And Like that was, again, a very short, brief experience. As I got older, you know, I I got a chance to travel to Japan when I was about 16 and then I kind of had that experience again, but different. I did a student exchange when I was about 17 to France again, but because my skills in French by that stage were at a point where I could communicate and I could independently try and communicate with people, that cemented that feeling where I was like, I can now engage in the same world that I was still in and I could do it in English, but I can do all of the same things in a different language and achieve the same kind of outcome, right? Like Mm -hmm. I'm still me living my life, but if I want to, I could think and speak and write in another language. That was the first time I could really do that. I I learned a lot from that experience. Yeah, it's so rewarding and enriching. I think mm. if you're, I think everybody must have that reaction of sort of going to a place the first time where everything, the signs, the labels, the what you hear in, in the street is in a, a different language that you might not understand. I think it's all, it's almost like a given that you don't understand for this experience to really be like, whoa. And, and I think maybe there are just those people that go, oh cool and 
they're all of us nerds. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think it might be because I'm sure that a lot of like if I talk to friends of mine and stuff and I was like, did you think that when the, the first yeah. time you got to travel somewhere where they don't speak English and they just be like, no, that is not what I thought. <laughs> I was I was confused and I didn't know where to go and I couldn't ask anyone for help. And I, and I think like it is the nerds like us who, who sit there and just are like blown away yeah. by, by that experience. Because um, I, just, I just go, oh, my God, adventure. Yeah, exactly. I'm just like challenged in a good way. It didn't scare me. Well, it scares you a little bit because, you know, that first experience when you go into somewhere and you're like, oh, I don't know whether my language skills are going to be able to like deal with this whole situation, but you have to just step into the cold water and try. I've always found that quite exhilarating. I, I know that's not how it is for everybody, but that's the kind of thrill that I've always gotten from learning and then trying to communicate in another language even if I do a really bad job of it (laughs) and make lots of mistakes but I do find it still like thrilling absolutely I think you can recreate it in many ways and like people can find their own comfort levels as well like we're not saying you need to throw yourself at it and get uncomfortable all the time I don't really advocate for that but because a lot of people and I think there's a lot of benefit but you know hey if you're having fun that's a benefit and the story like a lot of people just like to more sit at home be alone but like have a book or have the video or something like that and just kind of puzzle it out and I do it's a different kind of thrill you can use language like you might use a Sudoku for a little bit and that can also work it's such a multi-dimensional incredible thing to learn such a gift and when I think about how has learning languages changed my life there's the practical stuff like wow, my career is different. Also, I speak to my mm. husband in a language. When I was a kid, the the music on the radio was in English. And I remember exactly that I thought West End Girls might be about a man called Vincent because that was the only sense <laughs> I could make of it because I didn't understand English, right? And now this is my life. And my husband's in, in, in English and my sister-in-law is from Lithuania. Had she not learned German, she wouldn't have been able to, you know, she, it, it might have not gone like that with my brother it's just so much that language has really practically changed my life but there is the other aspect as well it's like something inside the this sort of the part of me that that gets this challenging environment goes whoa right let's woo you know that part gets satisfied when I engage with my foreign languages and there is just infinite opportunity to scratch that itch and take that further and to engage with that challenge like you say yeah, absolutely. I mean, infinite opportunity, I think, is a really great way to describe it because languages have always felt like the gift that just keeps on giving. Mm-hmm. Like you can do so many things in a language, in any language. And I think that this is what often people fantasize about learning a language, but they never get around to it because there are lots of people out there who are like, oh, it would be so good to learn another language. That's something I must do, something I'd like to do before (laughs) I die. Or like, you know, during lockdown, for example, when lots of people were like, this is my time where I'm going to learn another language. And it's, I think it's very easy to not realize actually that everything that you regularly do, you could do in another language. All of the things that you enjoy doing in your regular life, in your native language, you could do in another one as well. And for so many people, they think that learning a language, the extent of it is just the physical, like the kind of academic aspect 
of mm-hmm. the learning. The classic kind of classroom feel, the books and, and exercises and, you know, maybe passing an exam because that's kind of what they associate with the idea of learning from school and university and whatever else. It's, you know, languages are a, a tool. They're not a thing to be learnt that you like put it on a shelf and you're like, okay, that's done now. Like they are something that you can use to do other things. And that's why like they're so there's so much potential because there are literally just any activity that you can think of. If you wanted to try and do that in the language that you are learning, you could. Might take some time, but you could get there. Yeah, absolutely. And they're also just this they're like they're a tool, you know, for opening up the outside world, but I think they're also this thing that opens up something inside of you. Mm. And I think it, you're right that it, it really helps. When I think back, it really helped me that when I came to languages in a school classroom environment, I had already had interaction with language in lots of ways outside, right? Could be music on the radio was a huge thing, like just music, pop music for me was a huge thing because it was where English lived, really. Mm. And then like I had lots of interactions with French because I'm from near France. And that is such a big like part and maybe one of the reasons I just so enjoy Wales as a part of the UK because things are in front of you like Welsh is in front of you all the time they really fought for it but like your road signs are bilingual your signage is bilingual it just constantly like it's important in a way to create an environment that makes people aware that other languages exist and have a right to exist and they are with us in the world i wanted to actually ask you about this i don't know Mm. is there (laughs) somewhere in australia where the road signs i don't know new zealand maybe where the road signs are bilingual in the sense of indigenous languages i don't know whether there is that much progress i wouldn't say that in that's happened in a large way so road signs it's a really good question i can't answer that because i don't know but I would say that, like, there's probably a little more visibility. For example, at the, like, I'm thinking what's local to me. Sometimes on a sign, how would you describe this? If you are moving from one local government area to another, because that makes it like from one local council to another, they might have a sign that's like, welcome to our council. Mm -hmm. Um, And they might have welcome written in whatever the local indigenous language is Mm -hmm. so like I I feel like you do see that quite often but beyond that I think there's a very very long way to go in the context of like visibility and appreciation probably respect for languages in Australia that were here before all of us arrived yeah there's a lot of work to be done there You'll always get the people, like this This still happens with most minority languages, you'll always get the people who don't quite access it and who, who feel like it's being rammed down their throat, who feel like it's, mm. you know, it's why. But I do think the enrichment that you can get and the connection to your origins and where you are from or, or where you live, right? Like I'm not from this country, but I just, I feel like it's given me more depth to it. That is such a wonderful, like, rich connection. And I, I really hope that's going to like, come in the future. And it can be done in small, simple ways. Yeah. In in Australia, do you think people know? Or is there an easy way to know to say, okay, this used to be the land of 
this and that? Like, is there a sort of ancient map that people have agreed on? There, there is actually a map, and I'll have to give you the link to it later. But I'm fairly certain that it's been developed by IATSIS, which is kind of a like an organisation. Carla sent that to me for women in language. Yes, once. I was going to say Carla Zuluaga is the, is the person to talk to about this. But yeah, there is a map, and I can picture it so like distinctly in my mind it is like a map of Australia I think that probably anyone who doesn't know a lot about the sort of many Indigenous communities and groups and languages that there were in Australia prior to colonization like you'd be very surprised probably to see this map of Australia that's quite colourful. It's got all of these marked out areas. And of course, I think it's very much based on lots of information. It's not a map with borders in the same way that we would consider other maps of countries, because I don't think the understanding of exact areas is quite established. But we do know that there were communities and groups that were in particular areas. And this map does a really good job of trying trying to show where all of those were. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I've, I've actually found mm. it. I've had a little Google around while you're there. Okay. And this is super interesting. And instantly it's, it has this thing at the top that says Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people should be aware yeah. that this website may contain images, voices and names of deceased persons. Instantly yes. making you aware whether you are Aboriginal and Torres Strait or not. People think differently. Different people experience and value and interpret the world in different ways. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, this is fascinating. Listen to the show notes where I'm going to link this so that you can (laughs) explore a little bit more. You can sort of have a little look. And if you are in Australia, it might give you the opportunity to work out whose original land you are on. Mm -hmm. It might give you the opportunity to trace family history and just to recognize that just how much there is, how much... Oh, just it. This is this. I think it's fascinating, and I think yeah. again, it's <laughs> I think that it, it of, is. The world could be completely different, and this is amazing. I think that is the gift that language, as the key to all of this, is giving us. You've just reminded me because when you were asking about signs and things before, I was like, oh, I can't really, you know, like there's not not a whole lot in terms of signs that I feel like I can think of that come to mind. But something that I have noticed relatively recently, the ABC, which is the so the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, our like national funded broadcaster, have started now including the traditional country, so the traditional land that they are reporting from or that the you know that an interview is taking place on in their broadcasts even at that level just people knowing what land they are currently on is a small but important way for people to just have a bit of awareness and to make them think about the fact that yeah here in Australia the the vast majority of our population are people who have arrived at some point or other or their parents or their grandparents or their great grandparents did and we do need to remember that it's a place that there used to be a, a really diverse and you know many people used to live here and had cultures and things that persisted for a very long time so when you see on the news that they're reporting from Sydney and they say that they're reporting from Gadigal country then it's just a quick way for people to have that flagged in their mind. I think it's really good. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And this is not, it's also a reminder, I think. And like I think of Welsh, like when I first moved to the UK, I thought Welsh was 
a dead language. My understanding was not like sophisticated with as in like endangered and this like it was just people told me dead and I was I believed that. And um now, like last week, I traveled there and I went for a swim and I ran into someone, told them that I'm a Welsh learner, and then we just chatted away in Welsh. And then she chatted to somebody else and the kids were there and they were they were chatting back in Welsh. And I was like, this isn't like this is so far from dead and so far from something that you know we haven't got access to anymore and australia like many countries not just australia have this opportunity right now to not let it die and to you know to keep Mm -hmm. things accessible and to keep memories alive and not just memories but to embrace the fact that this is also here and it's just it's such an exciting time if we let it be i agree yeah it's just really cool it's really really cool I didn't mean for this to be like the language gratitude episode, but <laughs> like really, this is where we are, right? This it's I'm grateful Absolutely. for language. It's done so much for for me, for you, and hopefully for all of you listeners. Yeah, wow, so, gratitude episode. Good. This is a good fit. <laughs> now I have to kind of. We did say beforehand, like if we're still recording at five a.m. Australian time, then so be it. But we'll be <laughs> easy on the editor, easy on the listeners. Let's try and round this off, right? I would not be able to round off this episode without asking you, an Australian, <laughs> mm-hmm. okay, for yep. your hot takes on this year's Eurovision. And I've got because as we're recording oh. this, listeners, it's Friday morning uk time and the eurovision final is on saturday so when you listen to this on monday magic right future one eurovision we all have a strong suspicion here but let's all just kind of talk through our tips and i have this morning received hot of the press received Lindsay's hot takes and tips as well so i'll be able to share those as well but first beck you tell me what's your thought on eurovision 2022 okay let's preface this by saying i've bloody love Eurovision. I actually am very, very into it. And I realise that might sound very strange to many European listeners, because why would Australians be interested in Eurovision? Let me tell you, there are lots of people in Australia who are interested in Eurovision. And actually, so for those who don't know, Australia has been quite lucky to be a part of Eurovision, like actually partake in having a contestant in Eurovision for quite a few years now and I was pretty excited because this morning the Australian entrant this year uh, made it through to the final so I'm setting my alarm for 5am my time on Sunday morning so that I can watch the broadcast live. (laughs) I know I'm so excited it's going to be great and if you haven't watched Sheldon Riley yet in his performance um, of Not the Same, do yourself a favour and watch the video because it basically makes me cry every time I watch it. Oh, really? So it's so good. What's the Aussie entry like this year? Do you, have, do you think Australia would, what, and not do you think they would win? Of course, could, could, can win. But like, can you <laughs> imagine them winning and then all these European countries having to send their acts? To you? That'd be so well. Cool. That's not what's so going on, right? No, my understanding is that I think if Australia were to win, then actually it would not be held in Australia. It would be actually held with like another partner broadcaster in somewhere else in Europe. Mm. It's possible that Australia can win, obviously, but it is, yeah, like if it does happen, it would not mean everybody trekking out to Australia. (laughs) 
I mean, as much as I would love that, I would so love if they had Eurovision in Australia. Like, wouldn't that be just the most, like, extra thing ever? <laughs> It'd be so good. If you, I think it's episode 215, but I'll put it, in, put it in the show notes as well. If you want to listen to a little bit more about what Eurovision is and also the language perspectives, Lindsay and I did an episode on it last year here on The Fluent Show. So I'm going to pop that in the show notes. And one mm-hmm. thing I realized researching that one is that how much this is broadcaster heavy like everybody's like the broadcasters are very involved in this okay so your australian entry one hot take i've i've got a few i'm keeping my eye out for have you seen the serbian entry yes i watched it earlier today yes i thought it was quite good quite good yeah so the serbian entry if you i mean you'll have already all seen it if you miss eurovision and you want to catch up it's a good one to catch up with because it's the entire stage show is a lady washing her hands and then some monks coming with towels and drying her hands and then waving the <laughs> towels about and that's it <laughs> it's, it's and it's very effective it is and the other one that actually i really enjoyed i quite liked spain's entry oh I this yeah was very yeah. fun and some good listening controversial i quite liked the uk's entry this year that's apparently very high, highly favoured in, in the betting circle. So yeah. the UK, they're always like, oh, the odds are like this, like that. The odds are that he'll do well. I think it's boring, but I think mm-hmm. a lot of Lindsay's <laughs> trying to think of the too. other ones that I watched. Yeah, I quite liked as well. Which one was I watching yesterday? Oh, the Netherlands. They had a good entry. I mean, there have been some great ones. I have to say, actually, in the lead up to Eurovision, I've been listening very heavily to some of last year's Eurovision entries, just like reminiscing over the 2021 Eurovision Song Contest. Mm -hmm. And I just think it was basically daylight robbery that Ukraine didn't win last year. What a fantastic song. song. On my playlist and absolutely adore it. I was listening to it yesterday morning. I love it. A band called Goa with a song called Shum. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's this sort of it. It has a lot of the elements that make a Eurovision song great, which is that it's a bit of a banger. Yeah, sort of. You know, it's got a beat. It's danceable. It's got the folky element, right? It's got this little whistle yes. thingy, which again is in the Europe in the Ukrainian entry this year. Correct me, Ooh, listeners. I don't know what it's called. But uh, it's, yeah, it's like a, a very traditional folk instrument, I think. So it had mm. that, and it has a kind of outlandish quality. And it was in Ukrainian. So there's just so much going right. And this is like last year's Ukrainian. And this year, of course, like, okay, so Lindsay's hot take on the Ukrainian entry this year, which is also going, going the direction of like, I think it's, it has some protest song hints, but you, but Eurovision is quite deliberately not political. They have excluded Russia, but otherwise they don't really let you do political lyrics or something like that. And it says... Like Lindsay says, they're going to win the public for obvious reasons. I I think Ukraine is just, they could start, I don't know, a pigeon this year and they would still probably do extremely well out of solidarity, which is entirely right. They're going to win the public, but she thinks they might not win the jury. You never know mm-hmm. how it breaks down. But the public sure. vote will be so massive. So she still thinks the other high scoring songs are going to be all just overwhelmed and... Ukraine is going to win. And I also feel like, yes, this is maybe more about who do we think is going to come second after Ukraine? And I think <laughs> I actually really enjoyed the Ukrainian entry. So I was quite excited about that because it's the folky, dancey, it's the thing that I enjoy. Yeah, it's kind of like I, I found because it's sort of it's sort of rap like 
as well, mm-hmm. isn't it? After the initial part, which is quite folky, it then sort of goes into this like deeper rap type feel, which isn't like usually my kind of music. Like I enjoyed the song, but I would say that like, yeah, personally, like Ukraine's entry last year was like so up my alley and that more, I don't know, like, I always associate Eurovision with a very, I don't know, like a really upbeat kind of, that sort of clubby feel kind of I was like yeah this is great yeah you do get because it's you do get the power ballad there's always a bit of a power ballad I usually find the winner a bit of a letdown so Lindsay who I think Lindsay loves the UK to do well at Eurovision last year they got nil points from everywhere or something so Mm. even though it it wasn't bad either but she says being brave and following the odds and Mm. the with the Given that the full performance is very strong, the song is good. She thinks Sam Ryder, I think his name is, mm-hmm. yep. doesn't get lost performing between the other male big voices that he's in in the running order. She's even looked at the running order. This is like in depth. And she <laughs> thinks the UK might second place it this year. Ooh. Personally, I don't really believe in it, but I think songs that I think are boring tend to do, they, they always do well. So, hmm, okay. I think second place well, might be the Greek entry because it's been stuck in my head for two days, even though I didn't like it. Yep. But yeah, it's pretty like I did watch the Greek one actually, and it was also it was also pretty good. It was also pretty good. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was. I don't know, not inspired, but catchy. Bit catchy. Revision is always very. Like it is very, it's a real celebration of diversity. Mm-hmm. It is. Mm-hmm. I mean, like every year you see this like mixture of entries from all the different countries. They always have a Eurovision feel. I always think that everything fits in, but they're all so different. And I love that. I love that it's like this singing, dancing, costuming spectacular. Like it's not Eurovision enough if it doesn't have all of the elements going on but the fact that like Europe even has that that we have something like again I guess (laughs) Australia is not part of Europe and yet we still get to participate but the world has something like the Eurovision Song Contest that is so open and that allows everybody to enjoy this mixture of just fun like it's always so fun everything about it just makes me want to get up and and dance and kind of sing with them and you know get involved and I think like oh, we should all be really happy and grateful for that. I have so many happy memories as well of as a kid just watching this like, and I, again, you know, we talked about the languages and opening the world before. Oh, yes. Like I loved a bit where they're like, calling Tallinn, hello. And then, you know, <laughs> like, you get a little bit there. But like I used to love that even in the 80s when I was a little kid, it was, it's they've always done it this way. And it's just, it's all, it was just the most, mesmerizing thing where it's like oh god there's another country and oh Bulgaria oh wow you know I just I love it I absolutely love the really boring bit where they give all the points um it's not the really boring bit it's it's just so much good to it so Eurovision it's weird right because we're recording this too late to give a recommendation but listeners if you have also watched Eurovision um I hope you enjoyed it now Mm. Let me close out this episode with a big reminder. As I've already told you, next episode is pretty special and also your last chance to be heard on this show. Please, please, listeners, I want to hear your voices. I want to hear your stories. I want to hear your feedback. Get in touch with me on Twitter. I am at The Fluent Show. 
on Instagram. I am at K-E-R-S-T-I-N underscore fluent. Sorry, it's weird, but that's what it is. And on the email, <laughs> I am K-E-R-S-T-I-N at fluentlanguage.co.uk. And there's also a Facebook profile for me. You know, just find me, Kirsten Cable, on Facebook. There's only one Kirsten Cable in the world, as far as I'm aware. So I'm easy to find. And um, there's a Fluent Language Learners Facebook group. So lots and lots of places you can get in touch with me. I would love to hear your stories. And uh, yeah, get in touch with me. Send me some audio. Where have you listened? What episodes do you enjoy? What does the Fluent Show mean to you? Your inbox is just going to be overwhelmed. Well, I don't think week. so. I don't, do you Kirsten, think? I think you're going to get lots of questions and lots of comments and lots of audio and lots of people wanting to get involved in the last episode of the Fluent Show. Oh. Yeah. I appreciate you all so much. I appreciate you all so much who are listening. And uh, please make it come true, right? Make Beck's prediction come true and do overwhelm my inbox. I want to hear it all. Uh, this is a special time in my life as your podcast host, but also in the life of this episode of this show and also in the life of this episode, which is now coming to an end. Ha! Huh. <laughs> now, Rebecca Howie. People can find you yes. in lots, lots of places. Where would you like people yes. to find you most easily? You can probably find me most easily on Instagram. I feel like that's where I live on social media mostly these mm -hmm. days. So personally, you can find me at Beck underscore language. And if you want to have a look at Irregular Nix, which is one of the other things that I do, that's at irregular.com endings like irregular verb endings that's how that is spelt yep just irregular dot endings otherwise if you want to hear more about language chats which is a podcast that i co-host with penny who you might have heard um previously on the fluent show then you can find us on instagram where language lovers.au but you can find our podcast language chats wherever you listen to podcasts so wherever you might be listening to this podcast you can just search language chats and you'll find us there <laughs> And Beck, as a long-term listener, I don't need to explain to you how the sign-off works. And I'm pretty sure you're ready for this. Yes. So, listeners, get in touch. The DMs are open. And it is goodbye from me for episode 239. Goodbye. Goodbye from Beck. Goodbye. Yay. Thank you for listening to The Fluent Show. If you enjoyed this episode, please support the show by subscribing for new episodes and leaving a rating and review in your podcast app. You can visit us at fluentlanguage.co.uk anytime. Don't forget that you can send us your questions and feedback to hello at fluentlanguage.co.uk or you can find the show on Twitter and say hello over there. It's at The Fluent Show and on Instagram it's hashtag The Fluent Show. We're always happy to hear from you and we read every message and review. See you next episode.